Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Engendered, the show that features stories that explore the systems, practices, and policies that enable gender-based violence and oppression and the solutions to end it. Engendered is sponsored by CanDoIt, spelled K-A-N-D-U-I-T, and I'm your host, Terry Yuan. On this Survivor Series episode, we speak with Lana, a protective mother whose failed plight to seek help from the legal and justice systems in New York City for her daughter has led her to find refuge in Russia. Lana describes the police and court response when she first suspected her toddler daughter was being sexually abused by her father and adopted the protective parent Nomer as a result of their unwillingness to believe and protect her daughter. Reflecting on her continued struggles, Lana will share the signs of abuse that first directed her to seek help, the ways in which helpers in the system became unwilling enablers of the abuse, and suggests upstander tips for how friends, family, and help providers can be more effective in making the child's safety a priority over the abuser's parenting rights. Trigger warning for those who may be experiencing similar challenges as protective parents or sexual assault survivors. Our goal in sharing these stories is to debunk the myth that predators and abusers have a limited or a particular profile or come from a narrow demographic, so that when protective parents or children disclose, you will not disbelieve, victim blame, deny, minimize, or shift accountability away from the perpetrator to the victim. And for us as a society, to really begin to step up to act with openness, acceptance, and compassion. Let's turn to Lana's story now. Welcome, Lana, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Let's start with your relationship with your ex-husband. Well, I saw red flags um, practically from the beginning. He was very rough and tough, but I thought that this is just his personality. And, you know, when you're just first starting dating, they don't show you the true colors. But then later, like, you would see he would look at someone aggressive or he would say something you know, not, not nice. And you would, you would think, oh, why did he do that? And why did he say that? But nothing too alarming. Um, But then later, I saw that he, he was kind of an aggressive person. Like, for instance, once I was pregnant already with my daughter, and I, uh, I did laundry for him, and it was a, a black load of laundry, and I, I added like a, a, a white sock or something like that, and it, it shed all over the laundry, you know, uh, all over his black T-shirts and stuff like that. And he was furious. So he basically grabbed that laundry and just grabbed that wet T-shirt and just threw it in my face, for instance. That's that what happened. Um, once he got upset that the cat jumped on the uh, table and ate his you know, piece of meat or whatever when he wasn't looking, he was upstairs. Uh, and then he came back, he saw the cat on the table. He just, he just kicked the cat right in front of my nine-year-old son. My, my son was in tears for, I don't know, days. Um, just things like that. Like he wasn't a, abusive physically towards me but you can see that he's not you know a stable he was instilling good, fear in other good, words right he wasn't good natured person so even though he wasn't physically abusive but there was a threat of abuse because of the fear he was instilling well of course i was constantly thinking uh, what if i do this or what if i do that uh, would, would he be looking at me angry or you know but then again my personality is a little like i'm not submissive i would fight back and that's why we were always on and off because i would send him packing and then a few weeks or a month later he would come back crawling crying to take him back and give him another chance and that's what happened. That's what would happen. And especially, I already had my daughter, and I was thinking, you know, I would like to have the, a family for my daughter. And I, I tried to make things work. So one thing I noticed from speaking to many survivors, being a survivor myself, is mm-hmm. this tendency to be apologetic for the abuser and to to minimize especially if there's initially no physical abuse. Do you, do you feel like you were doing that during the relationship? 
that you of were course. making excuses for him in your mind? Of course. Like, if if my friend would tell me that this is what was going on in her relationship, my advice would be run, right? And and but but when it, it was happening to myself, I didn't see it this way. I was trying to come up with an excuse why he did it this way and and why he looked at me this way and why he t- told me that and why he said that. Of course, I was making excuses. What were some of the reasons why you think you were making excuses? Well, for starters, like you can't even to yourself, you can't acknowledge that this is what this person is. You have to acknowledge it to yourself. And like you can't, I guess, allow yourself to think that. And and that's why you come up with excuses. Would part of the reason include feeling embarrassed to share that you're feeling self-doubt and naming oneself a quote-unquote failure? Uh, That could be a part of it, of course, as well. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's not a single feeling that you feel when you come up with excuses for somebody like that. It's like uh, you have a spectrum of different feelings. So, um, of course, it was also part of it. Would your family and friends have been supportive if you came out? and told them that this is what you were suspecting was happening in your relationship? Well, I was suspecting. They always knew. They were always telling me that this is what's going on. You're just being blind. Or, like, they they would always tell me, especially my mother and uh, my best friend, like, I would would always talk to them, and I would always say, oh, this is what happened. And they they, they couldn't understand, like, why am I coming up with excuses for them, for him? How did they respond? Were they just very good at listening or were they actually trying to push you towards making a decision about the relationship and taking action? Well, my friend was very good at listening. My mother was uh, always pushing me to, to to do actions and, you know, to, to see what really is going on. She was trying to, like, you know, open my eyes, but I guess I was I wasn't very receptive to what she was telling me. Did you find that her approach was more or less effective than your friend's approach? Like, would it have made you leave your husband earlier if your mother was less, quote unquote, judgmental and and more just being there to support you? Um, It's hard to say. Maybe because my mother is always very strong willed and very strong minded. And maybe it also got played into the whole thing. But at the same time, I'm from right now for me, it's very hard to say because I'm really not analyzing my relationship with him anymore because after what happened, what he did to my daughter, it like completely turned it around. And I'm not even thinking of how it all started and how he did me wrong because what is going on with my family right now because of what he did is uh, he brought it on a completely different level right now, you know? So for me, I, 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 I can just honestly say that I saw red flags and I should have acted on it, and I didn't. But what happened to my daughter, it's a completely different story. And it just, like, like how, did, how I didn't see that, this is what kills me till, you know. I think it's unfair to put that burden on yourself because one of the goals of this podcast and the goals of the Protective Parents Movement, as you know, as, as you're a part of it, is to really help educate the public, not just advocates, but also survivors and our families and communities and of course, law enforcement and other people about the connection between domestic violence and child abuse. And that the reason that that we care about domestic violence when we bring it up in the custody courts is because there's such a strong correlation. And so I don't think it's fair no, for you to absolutely. put that burden on yourself because that's something that we're still working on and, and the, the courts are still lacking in understanding and really embracing that connection, which is why women and children remain at risk of being harmed by the system. The, the, the scariest part is 
that only after everything happened, I found out from his ex-wife that she had two restraining orders from him. So two order of protections she had. He was uh, arrested like three times for driving under influence. Then he was arrested for beating her up. And this all public records should have been available to all the, you know, um, the the judges and law enforcement and whoever needed to see it. And they still didn't take it into consideration. So moving to the, the parts that started impacting your daughter, can you tell our listeners how you found out about what happened, but being mindful of the language to share mm-hmm. with our listeners? Sure, I understand. Um, Well, let me just begin uh, with saying that we broke up one of the many times that we break up and then we get back together. One of those times when we broke up, um, I filed for the child support. He filed for visitation. During that that, uh, court proceedings, I got sole custody, physical and legal custody, and he got visitations. Then we were back on and off, and then finally we broke up in May of 2017. And then um, he was picking up my daughter, taking her to his house uh, on the dates that were court appointed, and that was Saturdays. And from like he, he would have her from 10 to 6. And one of the dates in September of 2017, it was September 11th, I was putting my daughter for a nap during the daytime. And I usually lay down with her and I tell her a little story before she winds down for for a nap. And this is when she just grabbed my face and she French kissed me. And at the time of this, what was going on, she was two weeks short from her third birthday. So technically she was a two-year-old toddler. And she kissed me in a way that uh, no child should kiss anybody. And I was just in complete disbelief and shock. And I asked her, who does it to you? And she said, Daddy. Uh, And I started asking her, like, what else did he do? Did he do anything else? I didn't want to scare her either. But I guess she saw, like, the shock in my eyes. She saw how how I reacted, even though that I tried to cover it. But you can only do so much when your little child does this. Um, I guess she saw it and she didn't tell me anything else. She said, no, everything else was okay and we, we were just playing. So next day I'm going to a store in the, and we're in the car with my mother and with my daughter and with my older son. And I decided to, and we were passing his street, and all of a sudden I, I thought, let me ask her how she feels if we're going to go visit her daddy. And I gave my cell phone to my mom and asked her to record it, and I started asking her. She was strapped in her car seat, and I'm asking her, how do you feel if we go see daddy? And she just, like, she was ready to jump out out of that car seat. She was uh, yelling and screaming and crying, Mommy, please, no. And that's what made me realize that really something terrible had happened to my daughter um, in his house. But then again, later that night, I was asking her questions and, you know, in a very calm way, I wanted to get the, you know, the information out of her, but she just wouldn't say anything. And then the next day on Wednesday, um, we were again going for a nap and I'm laying down with her. And when she came back from from a visitation, she had a bruise on her right cheek, but I didn't make a fuss about it because I thought she's a toddler. She could have been just, you know, maybe she stumbled up on something. Maybe she hit herself with a toy, maybe just a corner of a table. So I, you know, I didn't react, but I saw that bruise. And then we laying down and she started pinching her cheek with her right hand very very hard like you know she's definitely applying so much pressure that it hurts and I'm like why are you doing this you already have a bruise and she just put her little finger on her mouth and she said like you know that that's the sound of um to be quiet 
like don't say anything and I'm like why and she says because it's a secret and I said why is it the secret at this point Lana describes to me the sexual acts that her daughter reported to her allegedly committed by her ex-husband towards her daughter so uh and I started asking questions and I was in complete disbelief. I, I, I ran downstairs, grabbed my phone, started asking her questions again, recorded everything, ran to police. The police didn't know what to do with me. They were like, oh, someone will contact you. They did not refer me to any ER or anything like that. Um, like this, this something like this doesn't happen to anybody like very often, thanks God. But when it happened to me, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I came to police. They didn't tell me that I should go to ER and, and request a rape kit or something like that for my daughter. So I'm just sitting and anxiously waiting for someone to call me back. Finally, the whole day goes by. After I, I try to reach out again, call the police department a few times, Finally, detective calls me back and he says, because of my daughter speaking Russian, um, they can't locate a Russian speaking therapist and they trying their best to locate Russian speaking therapist that will work with a child that young. But let me just tell you, we live in New York and every like third person speaks Russian here. I am very surprised they couldn't locate anybody, but Anyway, this is what he told me, and he said, in a couple of days, he will schedule a, a forensic interview with my daughter. So finally, um, he calls me back next day. He schedules an interview next, the day after that. So it's like another day goes by. Um, and then when we got to the facility, I don't know what what kind of interview they had because they took my daughter away. And um, later I found out that it was like, Later, later, I found out that there was no Russian-speaking therapist. There was no Russian-speaking professional interpreter. There was some secretary that spoke Russian. Um, I don't know how well she spoke Russian. Maybe her Russian was with a huge accent. Maybe her Russian was half Russian, half English. Like she would use half Russian words, half English words. I don't know. I don't know what kind of interview they had. But when the detective came out, he looked very disinterested and he told me that unless I have a video of him doing it to my daughter or his confession, there is nothing that they can do because the child is too young to testify. And he basically told me that the uh, ACS, that's equivalent of uh, CPS, Child Protective Services, will take over the investigation. So... uh, the CPS worker, she came in, she checked my fridge, she checked the upstairs uh, kids' rooms for beds and for sheets and things like that. Never did she speak to my daughter, never did she speak to my neighbors, never to, she spoke to a pediatrician. Uh, she didn't speak to anybody except the child molester himself. And, of course, he said he did not do it. So, But she made her... Um, report based on whatever findings she got from the child molester, and she stated her report is unfounded. Just for the listeners, unfounded means that they have no or insufficient evidence to make a determination of any kind of violation of child abuse. Or- the accusations are unfounded, so I, there is no foundation for my accusations. Even though that she never even spoke to my daughter I, I called, I don't know how many times I called. I called morning, day, and night, and I cried, and I begged for somebody to come and speak Russian to my daughter. It was never addressed. Um, she, like I said, she, nothing was done except she checked my fridge and she checked the beds. That, that's all she did for me and for my daughter. So after the child welfare organization made a determination that nothing had happened, no violation or child abuse had occurred, what were your next steps? Were you then in court to file something to help protect your daughter? Of course, I went to court uh, the same date I went to the police department because this is actually what they did tell me. They told me that I should go to court and file a motion for suspension of his visitation 
So that's what I did right away. And um, uh, the judge granted the sus- uh, suspended visitations. It was I filed it on September 15th or 16th. No, I filed it on September 16th. And he we had the hearing on September 21st. On September 21st, he already gave uh, the father that I that was accused of uh, child molesting uh, his own toddler daughter. He was already he, they gave him the supervised visitations, but he didn't file. With, he, he didn't go through with the uh, visitations with the supervised visitations because he already had a, a, a trip to Russia scheduled. So. He went to Russia for three weeks. I found out about it through his ex-wife when I called her and I told her that this is what happened to my daughter. And he has an older daughter who was 15 at the time. And I told her that this is what my daughter told me. And she might be, you know, uh, she she might want to protect her daughter and, and talk to her. Um, and she told me that he's going away to Russia and this is what I thought would be, I, I saw that nothing is happening here. In America, in U.S., in New York, there was no official that, that were willing to help me. I couldn't get anything from the ACS people, from CPS people, from the DA, from police department, nothing. I received no help whatsoever. So I just, uh, I just grabbed my daughter and I went to Russia. And I did file the uh, file the police report there because we have dual citizenship, and he's a, a straight Russian citizen with a green card here in 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 America. So on the twenty first of September, you were supposed to have a hearing, but he didn't, or he was granted visitation, supervised visitation, but he didn't exercise it. So because he didn't exercise it, you left with your daughter to go back to Russia around the same time he was already there. Is that correct? Uh, a little different. Yes, you got that right. Uh, he was granted on September 21st his supervised visitations. He didn't exercise because he already had this uh, trip planned. And I didn't know about this until his ex-wife told me. When his ex-wife told me that he's going to Russia, this idea came to my head that, you know, I could go there. So I went on September 28th. I went to Russia. So your daughter's father was mm-hmm. in Russia at the same time that you were in Russia. Yes, there was there was a, a small time period where when all of us were in Russia at the same time. Yes. And did you call the police as soon as you got to Russia to try to get him arrested? Yes, I did. What did they do? Okay, they took me for questioning. They took my daughter for questioning. They took him for questioning, but they couldn't detain him because it was only what my daughter told me and what my daughter told them. That we didn't have enough time to, um, you know, to have the psychological evaluation done, to have the medical forensic uh, evaluation done. We didn't have none of that. And he was already, because I came a little too late and he was already leaving in a few days they couldn't detain him only from what you know what my daughter said later after they'd done all the evaluations all the medical evaluation the psychological evaluation i had the lie detector test done i had to submit my cell phone to the police they i mean it was like a a, a real thorough investigation after all this has been done this is when they charged him with the, the criminal charges. At that point, did he leave the country already? Yes, he left the country already. So there was no way that the police could try to detain him while they were conducting their investigation? At the time, no. They were telling me, like, based on what are we going to detain him, based on what the, a little child, little two-year-old child is saying, um, they needed to do the... Uh, evaluations of you know everything that i said and it was supposed to take them time and like legally they couldn't do that at the time so what happened between i guess by now we're in october of 2017 what happened between october of 2017 until now okay uh in september 
my daughter developed uh, some kind of rush in her genitals and in her, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, upper legs and her genitals all over. It was some kind of a rush. But I was thinking maybe, like, I couldn't I couldn't think of anything. I was thinking in just a regular, you know, maybe a diaper rush because we were wearing occasional diapers. Maybe it's a rush from the stand or something. And then only a couple of weeks later, when this rush was not going anywhere, despite all the treatments, like uh, I would put the usual creams that I, you know, what I that I did whenever she would get something, uh, it, nothing helped. So I finally took her to the doctor, and the doctor said that the, the doctor was shocked. She was like, um, I, because I took her to a regular doctor, not the um, dermatologist. And she was like, I can't, I, you know what, I might be mistaking. You better off going to the specialist or you need to see the dermatologist. I'm like, why? What do you mean? She said, because this type of rush on the genitals suggests that there was, there was a sexual activity. And I, I knew right away what she's talking about because we'll, we've been already going through all of this. And obviously I took the medical recording of that. And then I went back to New York and I took my daughter there and I had her examined by our pediatrician, our New York pediatrician. And then I had her examined by the Staten Island University Hospital doctors. They all concluded that this is the um, disease that that is transferred through sexual activity. Do they know what it was? Yes, it's malluscum contagiosum. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong, but. And at that point, your daughter's father was in New York. Were you worried at all that he might detain you both? No, at that time, I wasn't worried because we were still going through courts. And uh, uh, like at the, at the time, I was still hoping that it just it just some kind of a, a hole in the system and that we fell through the cracks and it, it's all fixable and I can prove what happened, you know? So I was still, like, I called the, uh, the ACS worker. I showed her the findings, the, the medical findings. I showed her the evaluation, psychological evaluations. I showed her everything that I already had by that time. It was already mid-October. And uh, she just simply ignored everything. And then we had another, on, that, on the October 26th hearing, I proposed that I forfeit my child support payments. In, in return, he forfeit his visitations just so that I can spare the anguish for my child, you know? And the judge gave him uh, time until December 8th to think about it because I guess he requested time to think about it. But then when he realized that he's not going to be, um, that nobody's after him for, for what he did, and uh, the reports already came in from the ACS, unfounded, and things like that happened. So he already knew that he's untouchable. Nobody's going after him for what he did. So he refused my offer. And he wanted to, um, he wanted to continue with his visitations. And the judge then granted him his unsupervised visitations. It was on December 8th. And this is when I took my daughter and I just uh, left because I next day would have been his, like December 8th was uh, Friday and December 9th would have been Saturday and then his uh, regular visitations um, day. And I was just, uh, you know, I didn't know what else I, I can do, how I can protect my daughter. So on December 9th, you and your daughter left New York City to go back to Russia. Yes. And you've been there ever since. Yes. Uh, what's the status of your ongoing family court case then in New York? Well, the judge keeps ordering me to bring my daughter back to New York um, or face contempt and possible custody loss because as of today, I still have 100% soul and physical custody for my daughter. But uh, the thing is, when Russian authorities got um, um, notified about what's going on, uh, they placed an order 
for stopping my daughter, prohibiting my daughter from uh, going outside of Russian Federation as a as a minor Russian citizen. So right now I have an active order from Russian uh, security border police, um, federal security border police, that prohibits my daughter to go outside of Russian Federation. And that I also submitted to the judge, and he just disregards it, like he's not acknowledging it, and keeps ordering me to bring my daughter on the same date of the next hearing to the court building. Do you have an attorney that's advising you about what your legal options are? Well, with my ordeal, I realized that not too many attorneys would like to take cases like that. Uh, many of them don't, and whoever do want to take cases only because they were more interested in re- me retaining them instead of doing something for What kind of case are you referring to? Are you talking about the allegations of child sexual abuse or the yes. fact that it's international? Yes. Uh, no, allegations of child sexual abuse. Like, I, I've, I've tried to locate a, an attorney from the beginning. It was very hard. But then after, it, you know, it got to the point where it's like, well, my understanding is that they can't really say that I kidnapped my daughter because I still have legal custody for my daughter. And if he really wanted to see her, he could have at least tried to um, arrange uh, a meeting with her in Russia because he's a Russian citizen. And he has no issues of traveling to Russia. Um, So it's not really like, you know, I kidnapped my daughter because this is not how it happened. But right now it is an international thing. Like proceedings do involve different countries, jurisdictions. And the, the attorneys, they're not very much you know, interested in, I'm, I'm not sure how to put it nicely, though. Um, they, the ones that I found, some of them were more interested in me retaining them, but not really doing anything for my case. Would you be interested in if any of our listeners have uh, a legal resource um, or are lawyers and want to reach out to you? Would you be interested in Seeking legal representation? Of course, I would love that because at this point right now, I have next court hearing on October 18th and I don't have a legal representation. Uh, My um, previous attorney had to withdraw based on his health reasons. Um, He withdrew on uh, August 3rd. I had a previous court date and now the next court date is going to be October 18th and I have to find somebody by October 18th and if I don't then I'm really not sure what's going to happen to my case. Well were you planning on calling in on October 18th or were you planning on showing up in person? No, I'm not planning to show up in person because, like I said, my daughter has this order where I'm not able to take her outside the Russian Federation. Even if I try to, they're going to arrest me because this order is active. And to leave her by herself, I can't do that either because how do you leave a three-year-old? And then for me, it's going to take at least five days to travel for travel time and then there is a time difference and then I have to stay at the courthouse for like a day. So it's impossible for me to be present on that day. So you were planning on calling in? Yes. Okay. And your lawyer would show up in person? Yes. And that's this is what's been going on for the past few hearings since December 8th. If you don't have an attorney, you would just call in and represent yourself? Is that right? I don't know if the judge is going to allow it because uh, a few times they tried to call in and the uh, one time judge allowed it to happen. And then one time my attorney wasn't present. There was something uh, with his, uh, he was at the hospital with heart problems and they still conducted the hearing without my attorney present. So um, just to show you what kind, you know, what kind of uh, system is employed right now on the last hearing, the uh, the father of my daughter was granted that he's not 
uh, obligated to pay child support, basically because he was ordered by the judge a uh, few months earlier that he needs to um, stop making direct payments into my account, but he needs to create an escrow account where I would have to be present to to take the, uh, the funds out. But what happened, he, he was able to stop the payments directly deposited directly into my account, but he was unable to create the escrow account. What he did, he created another personal account where he is allegedly um, depositing the child support, and the judge granted him that. So not not that I need the child support so much because, like I said, I already, uh, you know, w- was willing to forfeit it. But it just shows you that nothing that the father does could be wrong. But for me, it, it's just like everything I bring, all the evidence gets dismissed or ignored or not acknowledged. What are the risks if the current situation persists, the status quo persists. I know that you have, on a personal level, you have an older son who's in New York with his father, whom you don't get to see because you're in Russia. Yes. but, but um, So you're separated from him. But what are the other risks beyond your family being unable to be together? Well, I, uh, this is the biggest uh, heartbreak of my life right now because I, I did not get to see my son. My son is only 12 years old. When I left, he was 11. Um, he, he is my uh, firstborn. He, he is my baby, and I do not get to see him. I do not get to say good morning or good night to him and uh, tuck him to bed. And, and he's still a little boy, you know. Um, he's only approaching the teenage years, and he still needs his mother and right now my kids are torn apart because of this because of the way we were treated by the system and it just it tears me it tears my heart and my heart bleeds and i cry every every night um that i i'm i'm thinking what if what if the uh, you know what if i'm not going to be able to fix it what if i'm not going to be able to prove something that doesn't need to be proven because I already have substantial evidence. Only if somebody would look into it, only if somebody would would see. But I, what it is right now, it's like the system is covering up the sexual abuse of a little girl. And I am banging my head on the brick wall. And there is nothing that I can do to protect my daughter. And there is nothing that I can do to be with my family, to be with my son. And it, it, it just, it's just terrible. You, 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 I don't know. Only, only a person who can't see their kid who's separated from their child can understand what I'm going through. What other options do you have to try to resolve the situation? Because... I understand that Russia has a a warrant out for your daughter's father's arrest. Is that something that you can ask the U.S. State Department for help in extraditing him to Russia? That's what I'm. That's what I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. Uh, this person is dangerous. He's dangerous in the society. Uh, thankfully, there are people, there are authorities in Russia who were able to recognize it because they did the investigation. They put the time in to speak to my child. They put the time in to hire the uh, special forensic psychologist to speak to my child. Um, I mean, so much work has been done. They have no questions about the uh, level of the abuse, what happened. And this is why the the father of my daughter is facing uh, time only if he's going to be uh, brought into Russia. Obviously, he will not go to Russia by himself. He needs to be deported or extradited. Um, I can see that happening because this is not something, as light, to put it lightly, he didn't steal an, an apple from the uh, supermarket. You know, he he molested a little girl. So why wouldn't people want to extradite a monster like that? Why wouldn't they want to put him in prison for what he did? Like, I can't 
put it in my head. I can't understand why it's even happening in America. Why nobody really took the time. Why nobody took the time to investigate. I've called uh, governors, senators. I've, I've, I've emailed every single official, uh, district attorney, general, uh, attorney general, everyone. I, I've emailed even Donald Trump. I've been doing it for the past six months and I have yet to receive a single reply. I guess they're not very interested about, you know, a little girl being abused. I, I don't know how else to put it. Well, as you know, we're right now in the midst of pushing through a uh, Supreme Court justice that could be on the bench for decades who has been accused of attempted rape. So it's definitely consistent with our cultural mores for people to look the other way in terms of protecting abusers from the accusations and not keeping survivors safe. Oh, this is, I think this is what the idea is because the way I, my, do, my daughter and I was treated by every single official at first, I, it was unbelievable to me. I couldn't believe that this is really happening because we're used to watching those movies when a, a, a hair fell off the child's head and then there's army to protect this child. But not only didn't happen to my child, I was accused of coaching my child even without anybody speaking to my child. They just bluntly put it in their official reports that it appears that the child is coached when no one spoke to my child. So it looks like it's not only, they're not only covering the sexual abuse, but they're just, I don't know, they have like some kind of a secret agenda or something. I, I, and lately I've been monitoring this topic and I see how many women actually been in my situation and going through the same thing that I'm going through. And this is shocking, shocking and alarming and uh, the same, unbe unbelievable. And people, the public, they're oblivious of what is going on with the system. They, because they also watching the same movies that I was watching, thinking that if anything happens to the child, we have so many services that will protect the child that we have nothing to worry about. And when I bring this subject up, people look at me with disbelief, like you must be crazy uh, saying that because we have such perfect system. It will never allow a child being unprotected, let alone being thrown into the hands of, the, of her abuser. So, well, in our episode nine, you're familiar with DV Leap. So I spoke with Joan Meyer and she just came out with research about how when a protective parent makes an allegation of either domestic violence, child abuse, or child sexual abuse, whether number one, whether it's responded to as a defense by the abuser with an allegation of quote unquote parental alienation. Yes, I heard about that. Yeah, and whether or not even when, when there's proven, acknowledged domestic violence, child abuse, or child sexual abuse, even in the face of that, whether they still ignore it and still put the child into the custody of the abuser. And most most of those cases, they still do, even when there's proven evidence. So there definitely is something wrong with our society, with our systems, when they look the other way. Absolutely. Not that I only have just allegations. I have medical proof. I have medical proof of bruising on my child as a result of sexual assault. I have uh, STD on a three-year-old child. I mean, I have videos of her kissing me on the lips. How do you coach your child that? I mean, they just... They, they just they just choose to look the other way, you know, because the, the evidence that I have sufficient enough. Okay. Even if they say, if they, even if they're going to say that it's insufficient to put him in jail, fine, but at least protect the child from this monster, from the predator. But no, no, he's, he got some supervised visitations, which is absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, if your daughter's father were to be successfully extradited to Russia, 
the situation, the next steps would be he would be given a trial. Yes. And then based on the determination of the trial, that would determine whether he goes to jail or not or or some other sentencing. And would they be able to make a determination about custody? Uh, Because your your jurisdiction is in New York. So how would that work? Okay. Well, as long as he is, you know, detained and if the uh, if the Russian courts find him guilty, then he will be facing time in he will be in jail for uh, for a long time. So um, that would really answer my questions and my praise because I've been praying every single day for you know for this for justice for my daughter. What's been the most challenging part about your decision to leave to go to Russia with your daughter? Oh, I had to make an agonizing decision. Uh, I, I don't know what mother would have uh, done in my position. I had to save one child and and leave another child behind or give my child to a monster knowing what he did to her and, and live with it for the rest of my life. So I, I, it, it was horrible for me, but I had to make this decision. I had to grab my daughter and, and bring her to safety and then hope to God and pray to God that I see my son again. Uh, it, it was it was very challenging and, and, and very heartbreaking. And it still is because I don't, like I said, I don't get to see my son and it, it's 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 very it's very hard. Is there any way that your son can also go live with you in Russia? Is that a possibility? I don't see how it will be possible because um, he is a twelve-year-old boy. He's an American. He doesn't speak Russian very well. He's seventh grade now, and to do that to him and also to his father, who is a good man. I I just don't see how it's possible. Um, my son is also a great athlete. Uh, he's he's done very well in swimming. He uh, he he did uh, the the JO Junior Olympic level and zones and swimming. He's already making a name for himself in swimming. And to, for me to do this would be a very selfish. I have to think of him as well. And. Of course, as much as I miss him, but I'm a mother and I have to think what's best for my child. That's really brave and courageous of you. Thank you. But what do you do? If you're a mother, that's what you do. And even though that my, my heart bleeds every day that I don't get to see him, I still think what's, you know, what would be better for him. What do you hope for your daughter's father? If he is found to have done the things that you suspect him to have done to your daughter, do you wish for them to have any kind of relationship in the future for him to get mental health services and support or some other kind of support? Oh, I think you're asking me for too much. No, I'm not. I'm not. uh, I don't have a heart this big. No, I don't. I do not want her to see him ever again, and I don't think she wants to. She still remembers what he did to her. I mean, it's been only a couple of months since she stopped saying what he did to her because after she realized that I'm not going to hurt her, that I'm not going to um, yell and scold at her, she started telling me more and more gruesome details about what happened. So, I no, I do not wish for her to have any relationships with him. And I just want her to forget whatever happened to her. And I'm just praying to God that she will be able to heal and forget. Lana, I I wish you the best luck and support and strength in your your journey to find healing and justice for yourself and for your daughter. And hopefully our listeners, if they have any resources, they can reach out to you. Do you have any final words that you want to share with them? Uh, uh, sure. I would like to thank you for doing such uh, honorable work and bringing awareness uh, of domestic violence and of the uh, judicial um, you know, flaws 
uh, and to the listeners who are maybe finding themselves in a situation like mine to keep on going and do not give up and I know it is hard. I, I've been through this hell and I am still going through this, but I know that we are responsible for our children and we need to protect them and we need to do the be- what's best for them. And I only want to protect and my, for my daughter to be safe. And, and I'm sure every woman in my position, this is what they want. And I, and I wish for them to get through this and and I wish for the justice system to finally open their eyes and see what they're doing to protective mothers and to abused kids, how they're throwing the, the children right in the hands of their abusers without even investigating, just dismissing the allegations and, 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 and putting period. That's it. Stop. And, and these poor mothers, they can't do anything to protect their kids. It just breaks my heart. That's all. Well, I hope that our conversation will help our listeners be more aware of this crisis in the family courts that we've covered in previous episodes and the systemic challenges that protective parents um, are struggling with and to be a part of the solution by being an ally, by reaching out and educating yourself, by volunteering, by donating to supportive causes who are working in the area of eradicating violence against women and eradicating child abuse and child sexual abuse and and bringing awareness to these issues. So thank you so much, Lana, and um, let's keep in touch and and, uh, hopefully you'll be able to share good news in the future. I hope so too, and thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engendered. The show is sponsored by CanDoIt. The mission of CanDoIt is to connect human service providers with the resources they need to empower their clients to be safe, healthy, housed, educated, employed, advised, and secure. CanDoIt helps to bridge the service gap and can be found at kanduit.com. CanDoIt. I'd love to get your feedback and hear any questions or suggestions you may have for the show please email us at engenderedpodcast at gmail.com with your questions. Until next time, I'm your host, Terry Yuan. Thank you. Thank you.